Hello to all you unconventional conventionists. Welcome to Rocky Talkie. I'm Jacob. I'm Aaron. And I'm Meg. Now, before we get started with the show, how was your week? Did you guys get up to anything fun? Oh my god, yeah. I mean, it's it's been a crazy, crazy week, you know? It's the uh, start of October, and we all know what that means. It is uh, Rocky Horror season, so we have been just balls to the walls on everything for our shows here in New York. Uh, we have a shitload of them. They're selling out like crazy. We are so excited for the season. Um, but outside of that, you know, we've also been getting up to a bit of fun. We went out to House of Yes the other night, the uh, club that's out in Brooklyn. Had a great time partying and dancing and uh, going in the hot tub. That was super fun. Uh, and yeah, you know, been been taking a break here and there from Rocky stuff, uh, trying not to get too overwhelmed. What about Aaron, did... Did you go into the naked hot tub at House of Yes? I did. I did indeed. <laughs> you did? It was wow. It was, it was so I was much surprised fun. too. Yeah, they gave us free champagne and everything. It was wonderful. Meg, how was your week? My week was good. I am equally surprised that Aaron went in the naked hot tub, um, yeah. and they did give us free. It wasn't champagne. I think it was prosecco because it it came oh. from the prosecco region of california or whatever well listen um, there were a God. lot of bubbles okay <laughs> there was so many bubbles happening i can be excused if i missed that there weren't bubbles in the glass there were a lot of bubbles um and yeah what else did i do this week we went out to a dueling piano bar which was supposed to be like a treat and a relaxation from doing fucking rocky bullshit but then we all ended up getting shit-faced and booking another show with their bar manager. Uh, so now we have an extra Halloween show. So I inadvertently gave myself way more work, but the whole cast is into it. And I think it'll be a good opportunity for us. It was a good time. What else? I, Me and my friend, Marty, Jacob's cousin, got matching tattoos yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was fun. Matching tattoos of what? You'll see them in like an hour. Yeah, yeah, I will. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Sure, so the listeners would love show. to see them too. You know, I'll post pictures on my Instagram. You can follow me at FOFMEG, E-F-F-O-F-F-M-E-G, and you can see pictures of my stupid tattoos and my stupid pets and my stupid friends. Love it. <laughs> so we got another show at the Dueling Pianos, did you say? We do, yeah. Uh, I've already put cool. you down for it as Brad, so I hope that you're available. I, I am doing absolutely nothing but getting mad at my computer so amazing yeah. perfect uh, what about how you? new york city casts itself yeah what about you jacob what about me jacob um oh my goodness okay so boring 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 computer stuff but i found this game series holy fucking shit total war is the bet is great it's so good it's you know it's a video game series so i'm gonna enjoy it for a little bit and then you know forget about it and it's never gonna fill the emptiness in my life but right now <laughs> It's so good. I they like six months ago or something they released Warhammer three, which is the third installment in the Warhammer series of the Total War umbrella. And oh god, I I was have been having a ball playing that game. It's like fantasy um, army command. It's commanding big troops on big battlefields to do shit. Is that I've been loving that? Is that actually like in the Warhammer forty k universe, like Tyranids and Space Marines and? Um, I think some of the gods that are in the Warhammer 
like uh, like medieval because this is a medieval setting but oh. some of the gods are shared across because i i know i heard one of the gods from like thirty thousand or forty thousand um are also one of the gods that are in this series of game warhammer classic okay okay yeah yeah this is like medieval themed and forty thousand and thirty thousand are like future for 40k i don't i don't think there's a warhammer 30k it's, it's just 40k Oh yeah, you want to bet? You want to bet right now against the dude who's been investing too much of his time and energy over the past two weeks into this entire series of games? You wanna you wanna play that game, Aaron? Yes. Okay. Wait, no. Okay, it looks like I, I there is a video why you would choose Warhammer 30k over 40k on YouTube. Warhammer 30k on Amazon. What is it? So it, 30k is a supplemental expansion. Uh, oh! But it's in you. Uni- oh! It's in the 40k universe, so... So he's technically wrong. Who? Who? I, th- I think I'm technically right. No, Aaron's technically wrong. Okay, I appreciate... Thank you. Thank you very much, mate. Yeah. Aaron's like a dick. Woo! Well, with that, I think it's time we move <laughs> on over... Wait, wait, wait I, got first... a one, I got a shout-out. Um, I wanted to shout-out my father, Patrick. I love you. He was an avid listener of the show, and we were just talking about it yesterday, so I... Wanted to make sure I said something. He also said he loved the uh, Callback Origins um, piece Aww. you did last week, Aaron. So good job oh, on that. Uncle Pat is an avid yeah. listener. Well, thanks, yeah, Pat. Yeah. That was a fun segment. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we did that one. Yeah, yeah. That's sweet. That's nice. Good for you being a supportive dad. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. You didn't <laughs> go for milk and walk out, so you win. Um, <laughs> better than my dad. Well, Pat's. that got dark. So on that note... <laughs> <laughs> now that that's out of the way, let's dive into our first segment. So, first up in global news, we've got some spicy hot tea from our favorite fucking slut. Uh, this week, Susan Sarandon went public with some decades-old drama surrounding the production of the 1987 film The Witches of Eastwick. Witches of Eastwick tells the story of three hot witches, Susan, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Cher, all of whom pork Jack Nicholson. Jacob, there is so much more to it than just porking Jack Nicholson. Also, spoilers. The movie's almost 40 years old. Next, you're going to tell me I shouldn't tell our listeners that Darth is Luke's dad or that Kevin Spacey is Kaiser Soze. If you don't know that shit by now, you don't care enough to know it. Moving on, in this recent interview with Vanity Fair, Susan told reporters that when she was initially offered a role in the movie, the director offered her the part of Alexandra, the witch that has the most interaction with Jack Nicholson's character. Lucky bitch. A couple of weeks later, the director called her to ask how she would feel of playing the role of Jane instead. Susan was vehemently against the swap, as she thought that Alexandra had all the best scenes, plus... She didn't know how to play the cello, which she needed to do for that part. She declined the offer for the role swap. Yeah, but when she got to L.A. to start filming, she found out that the casting directors had just gone ahead with the old switcheroo without telling her. Which is kind of fucked up, if you ask me. And on top of that, the movie people wouldn't let her out of her contract. So Susan had to go ahead with making the film in order to avoid getting sued by the production company. It's kind of fucked up that her contract allowed the company to put Susan in an entirely different role without her agreeing to it. I bet she had a very stern talk with her agent after that one. I bet she fucking did. 
Although, she did say that the silver lining of the whole ordeal was that she made some wonderful friends on set, including Cher, who loaned her a bunch of wigs and clothes to help her get into character, which is pretty cool. I'll take Cher's hand-me-downs. Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, I'd learn to play the cello if it meant I got to be besties with Cher and borrow her dresses. She'd get the zippers that I couldn't reach and tell me how pretty I looked and we'd paint each other fingernails and, and get coffee and, and boba tea. It'd be great. As cool as that sounds, I would imagine the real silver lining here were the big fat fucking royalty checks. Witches of Eastwick cleaned up at the box office, grossing $63 million, and I mean, the movie's still really popular to this day. So if you want to get into the swing of spooky season, you can check it out this time with that little nugget of info and see what you think. You know, would Susan have made a better Alexandra than Cher? Did the casting directors make the wrong call? Is Hollywood a fucked up place? You know, let us know what you think. Give us the details. Text your answers now! Wow! Where? 877-588-2300 okay. Empire Today! <laughs> we are not sponsored by them. But we could be if you're listening. Give us a call. We are not at that number. Do not call. But if you want to call and you've got some news, that's time for our next segment. Let's move it on over to... Community News. First up, in Community News, we'd like to take you guys on a journey down to Oklahoma City, a place best known for that musical, Oklahoma. That's fair. Well, the Lyric Theater, the quote, official theater of the state of Oklahoma, is going to be putting on a production of, no, not Oklahoma, the Rocky Horror Show this Halloween season. And this production is described as having, quote, a twist the size of Texas. Do it with an accent. A twist the size of Texas. Now, now do it with a Finnish accent. Yeah. A twist the size of Texas. Wow, Jamaican. I don't know what that was. Do Jamaican. A twist the size of Texas, man. The Lyric Theater's show is going to be Western theme. Think um, the best little whorehouse in Texas, but make it goth. In fact, their costume designer stated, quote, I took the Texas Chainsaw Massacre outfit and we're making it a bedazzled sexy dress. So it's sexy, bedazzled, leather face. They don't teach you things like that in design school. You went to a design school in Texas. I don't think they teach you much of anything. Oklahoma. Apparently they don't know the difference. <laughs> wow, what an on-brand idea for a theme night. Yeah, uh, apparently Rocky Horror is one of this theater's favorites for the spooky season, so they're always looking for ways to mix it up and make it even crazier than normal. The first time they put on the show, the director went with a 60s drive-in sci-fi theme. You know, you're kind of pretty standard Rocky Horror stuff. Then, the team got a little more creative for their next go. Back in 2013, their resident Rocky director did a haunted traveling circus sideshow. Huh. Definitely more creative, but still pretty Rocky. Rocky people love a circus theme and vertical black and white stripes. Better than the horizontal stripes that make you wear down there in Texas. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> okay, Jacob, uh, what about their 2019 version that was set in the French Quarter during Mardi Gras? Fun, but still kind of a Rocky staple. Becky just did that one too, remember? Well, okay, I mean, I guess that's why this year's edition is so noteworthy. Have you ever heard of a cast doing a Southern Belle Texas theme night? 
it's like the antithesis of everything Rocky stands for. I mean, you might as well do, like, fuck a football theme night or some shit. Yeah, football! Woo! Ugh. No, fuck a football theme night, Aaron. It's not football, it's, ah, look at this football, my, you know, in my ass. <laughs> Okay, uh, but if you take a look at these pictures that the theater has posted, I mean, it, it does look like the team is doing an absolutely fantastic job of tying this all together. Uh, there's some super cute photos here. We've got Janet as a church girl with, like, really big hair. She's being seduced by Rocky, the shirtless cowboy. And then we've got sexy, scary, bondagey cowboy Frank. He looks like he's going to kick through those double saloon door thingies and tell you... His asshole ain't big enough for the two of you. Two of who? I, I don't know. Whoever the two guys are that are competing for asshole space. Anyway, the Lyric Theater in Oklahoma City will be putting on this crazy production starting right now, October the 5th, and running through the end of the month. We strongly urge any of our listeners who live in the area to go check it out if you're looking for a flavor of Rocky that you maybe haven't ever seen before. Plus, if you want to check out these gorgeous fucking costumes and can't make it to Oklahoma City, we've got all the pictures linked for you in our show notes. Next up, we've got something fun for all our East Coast people. The Skivvies will be performing in a couple of weeks at Joe's Pub. That's right, Joe's Pub in the middle of Manhattan. The Skivvies are a musical duo, Lauren Molina and Nick Searley, who play stripped-down acoustic cover arrangements of electric and highly produced pop music, while also stripping down themselves. What? They play in their underwear. Aw, adorable. Right? And as a Halloween treat to all of their fans, they do a special seasonal edition of their show titled The Rocky Horror Skivvy Show, where they invite a whole bunch of extremely talented Broadway actors to join them on stage to perform covers of Rocky Horror songs mixed in with pop music. This thing's fucking amazing. So, for example, their Hot Patootie cover is mixed with Elton John's Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting and Britney Spears' cover of I Love Rock and Roll. They smash these three songs together and it just sounds fucking amazing. Here, you guys have to listen to this. Let's let's play a little bit.
duo played Brad and Janet together in a stage show production of the Rocky Horror Show out in Pennsylvania, which helped them realize how much they loved the music from Rocky, and they ended up turning it into their annual Halloween show, and it's been a huge success. So, Jacob, what's the best part about their upcoming show? It's like so close to my house! I could walk there and walk back! And why is that relevant to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get to see them! Hell yeah, we do. So the Skibbies are coming to perform at Joe's Pub at 9 p.m. here in New York City on October 22nd. Plus, they've got a little tour set up all across the country, performing both their standard show and their Rocky Horror Show. Oh boy! Syrup! (laughs) Tickets are only 35 bucks, and it looks like there's quite a few still left. So, like... I don't know if any of our friends out there are interested in attending. Our cast is going to be there, and we'd love to watch the show with you, get some drinks, and gush about how just fucking outrageously talented Nick and Lauren are. Because they really, really do put on a great show. So, like, if you want to come, hit us up. Have your people call our people. Just saying, you know. And if you can't make the trip in the middle of October, which is totally fair, it's a busy month, the Skivvies have also released an album so you can give your ear holes a treat at your own convenience. We'll link it for you in our show notes so you can check it out. We'll also have the deets for their cross-country tour dates too. And speaking of filling your ear holes... Okay, guys, I found something the other day that is going to blow your fucking minds go on what if i told you there's a song sung by little nell that you've never even heard of and and what if i told you the video for it also has boobies i wouldn't be surprised at all i would be blown away tell me more okay okay now just because my lawyer says so gotta dot the i's and nestle the t's I need to make it clear that it's not, it's not Little Nell's boobs in this one. They're animated boobies. Oh, Jacob. But, but, what if I then told you that Richard O'Brien and Richard Hartley wrote the song? Wouldn't that blow your fucking mind? Jacob, yeah. And, and, what if I told you that... Only recently was it made accessible to the world, even though it was created in the 70s and through the magic of computer wizardry, it's been made pretty for all our viewing pleasure. Jacob. And the name of this song, well, well, my dear friends, it is called... High Fidelity. Wow. You couldn't... You, you couldn't even just let me have one. You get to do this every week. I, you couldn't just let me. That's nice, Aaron. That's cool. Jacob, where'd you find this, buddy? On YouTube. It, it was posted by some guy. Username is uh, Pazuzu4711. And he said that... Jacob, I think that's Tony Pazuzu. Like the huge Rocky horror collector historian guy. He's the one who runs OzRockyHorror.com. We mention him like once every other episode. But but this is so cool. It's something new and, and fresh and has magical computer magic involved. I'm surprised, Aaron, that you didn't know about this, seeing how you talk to Tony a lot and any kind of computer thing would be right up your... Oh. Uh, 
Did you just get there, buddy? Did you already know about this? I did. How much? How much did you... Did, did you do the AI upscale of this? Yes, I did, buddy. So you made the thing I found? Yeah, that's right. So I didn't find it. I mean, you did. Not really. Guess I'll just go kick rocks like a kid in a movie. Well, fuck me for trying to find something cool for the show. Are you sure you weren't just searching for Lil Nell's boobs on the internet again? Don't be stupid. I have Google alerts for Nell's boobs, <laughs> as if I would need to search for little Nell's boobs. Guffaw, good miss. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but maybe for all our listeners out there, um, let's start at the beginning and let's kind of explain what the heck this thing is, where it came from, who did it, all of that crap. So, High Fidelity is just a short animated film by the artist Antoinette Starkevich. It's just under four minutes long, and it's really fucking neat. It's all ink and watercolor, and at first glance, it appears to be like this nod to traditional Hollywood dance imagery. It's got a really sort of feminist edge, and it takes this visual inspiration from high society glamour icons like Marilyn and Shirley Temple. It's, it's gorgeous, but don't let the animation technique's simplicity deceive you. The dancing figures are occasionally reduced to plain lines, but those lines do just a gorgeous job of storytelling. Sarkavich focused intently on sexual impulses underlying formalized dance. The female dancer's wayward nipples frequently pop out of her costume as she attempts to snare assorted male partners and continues to do so even after she's donned a masculine tuxedo. It's very Vogue, very Madonna. So what's of particular interest here is that the song that the character is singing during this short was written, as Jacob said, by Richard O'Brien and composed by Richard Hartley. This was done just after Rocky Horror. And, I mean, it was really successful. The short was nominated for a Palme d'Or as Best Short Film at the 1976 Cannes Film Festival. So... Enough talking about it. If you guys want to watch it, and we highly recommend you do, take a quick pause and watch the video. The link is in our show notes. It's only a few minutes long, and it's really neat to hear. A, just another little Nell song, and B, one that's penned by the two Richards. There's nothing else short of Rocky and Shocky that features this trio. So, we'll give you a second. Pause, go check it out, come back. Awesome. Do-do-do-do. So that's all well and good, but what's particularly interesting for our purposes about this piece isn't so much the animation itself. I mean, it's super cool, don't get me wrong, but the story behind how Little Nell and Starkovich met and what it reveals to us about the truth behind Nell's eventual casting in the Rocky Horror Show, that's what's really at play here. So let's start simple. Who is Antoinette Starkovich? She's an animator, an artist. What's her story? Starkiewicz was born in Poland in 1950. In 1960, she was part of the wave of Jewish immigrants, a fellow Jew, of Jewish immigrants that moved to Australia. We'll get back to her in a second. Around that same time, there was an up-and-coming artist named Martin Sharp, who just had a smash success creating Oz magazine. Oz was hugely influential in the international counterculture of the 1960s, while it was first published in Sydney in 1963, a parallel version of Oz was published in London in 1967. 
The Australian magazine was published until 1969, and the British version until 1973. And, I mean, we could go off on this magazine forever. Like, it was hugely influential in counterculture. It was one of the first magazines that really brought obscenity cases in printed media to the UK that like they they had countless legal battles over the content that they were printing they were very critical of the government and police and just all these kind of things that are still relevant to us today but these were some of the founding footsteps of people like putting out content and fighting those legal battles with the government and other organizations saying you can't criticize us well it turns out they could and they did and they were hugely hugely rewarded for it with a massive readership so in late 1969, Martin Sharp was frustrated by the traditional gallery scene in Australia. He'd gone back there after he'd worked uh, on the Oz magazine in London. So he convinced the owner of a house in Sydney to rent him the property to create a workspace and a exhibit space. In this house, Sharp put on his first two exhibits in late 1969. Both of these centered around conceptual art. In the late 60s, conceptual art had emerged as a major new movement. Often, it used novel combinations of music, theater, film, slides, light shows, and live performances of music or dance. This was the dawn of total environment installations, or happenings, or as we might call them today, immersive experiences. The second exhibit was titled The Incredible Shrinking Exhibition, My Penis After a Cold Shower, hey. which comprised photographs of the first show re-exhibited in small gem-like mirror frames. It was these two shows that laid the foundations for what the house would become, The Yellow House. The Yellow House is, of course, a reference to the unrealized dream of Vincent Van Gogh, who had mentioned the idea in a letter to his brother Theo. Van Gogh envisioned setting up his house as a center for artists to live, work, and exhibit, and Sharp's installation was the 1960s realization of Van Gogh's late 19th century musing. I think you mean Van Gogh, but uh, whatever. <laughs> you know, I think you're right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> These opening exhibits were, as the Sunday Mirror reported, the wildest, most way-out scene of the week, where the guests were really wild gear and many looked as though they had come from a performance of hair. In fact, the producer of Hair had thought so highly of the exhibition that he sent a memo to his staff directing them to see the exhibition as, quote, it will help you understand what life in this year and in the next year is and will be. Far out indeed, but of particular interest in that quote is, uh, let's think about who was working on the Australian production of Hair at this point, right? Right? All right, for those of you who aren't quite so up on it, it was directed by none other than Rocky Horror director Jim Sharman and designed what? by Rocky Horror designer Brian Thompson. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Antoinette Starkevich was also one of the many students that flocked to Sharp's new space. She rapidly began contributing along with many other artists to create the first exhibits in the Yellow House. The Incredible Shrinking Exhibition was the second installation in the Yellow House, launching on April Fool's Day, 1971. The walls of the house were painted blue with clouds, giving an otherworldly appearance. On opening night, a tap dancer performed throughout the space. Her ruby slippers decorated with sequins and emphasizing the fantastic nature of the event. And that tap dancer? You guessed it. Albert Einstein. No, Hell yeah. it, it was Little Nell. Obviously, it was little now. 
some reports say that she was dating Martin Sharp around that same time. Don't do the math on that. So there might be a bit of nepotism there, undoubtedly. Uh, but she was also a core member of the artist that made the Yellow House quite the attraction. See, the Yellow House wasn't just a gallery. It was a family. It was an immersive performance space. Upstairs, there was a small puppet theater. It featured live performances by Julian, but it's spelled Juellen if you get confused while you're Googling this, but it is Julian, spelled Juellen, remember. A clown and a character named Columbine, originally played by Little Nell. In fact, there's footage of the pair that was recently found last year, and Nell often speaks of her friends Jules in interviews. The idea of Little Nell, like, sitting on her knees being like, ah, I'm a puppet, you know, in her little voice is really cute. I don't think she, it, they just performed in the puppet theater. They didn't necessarily perform puppets in this puppet theater. You know, it's not important. Wait, what? That's ridiculous. What? So they just did regular shows in the puppet theater? Well, I mean, on the days that the puppet guy wasn't there, they'd had to put something else in the space. So, like... That's like, I played I played games on the ice rink. It was basketball. Like, why would, you know? Yeah. You're, like, wasting... You could be playing ice hockey. You know what? I'll let Martin Sharp know of your criticisms. Anyway, my yeah, idea is cuter. You. And if you think of Lil Nell with her little boobies out, just talking to some puppets like on Sesame Street, that's adorable. I want to see Little Nell's puppet of herself that has the puppet has their boobs out, or like, <laughs> or like has has a has a thing that you can pull on to like, woo, you know, right? And it's yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You straighten out the puppet shirt and like nipples poke out. Right. We we can make this happen. We can make a Little Nell puppet. She could be the mascot of Rocky Talkie. Oh yeah, I'm here for that. Anyway, so to put a bow on this game of Kevin Bacon, when Nell decided to leave Australia and move to London, it was Antoinette Starkevich who took over the role of Columbine in the performances at the puppet theater in the Yellow House. So? Wait, so was, was Columbine a puppet? I don't know, sweetie. None of this is explained. Columbine's the one who fell in love with Harlequin, right? Harlequin and Columbine, that's a thing? Yes. Are you telling me the Joker is Columbine? No, Columbine's the girl. I think, I think Jacob's having trouble discerning from, um, let's call it DC canon and um, the real world. It's like a trope. It's like a theatrical trope, like Harley yeah. Quinn yes. and Columbine. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rad. So that explains the connection between Nell and Starkevich. And to remind listeners, this is probably going to help us figure out why Nell most definitely wasn't just discovered busking on the street in order to be cast in Rocky Horror. You see, in 1971, Jim Sharman and Brian Thompson had the preview for their first film, that's Shirley Thompson versus the Aliens, at the Yellow House. So you've heard us saying before on the show that Nell was active in the Australian art scene, and that's how she first became acquainted with Jim Sharman and Brian Thompson, who would later tap her for Columbia and Rocky Horror. This is the place where it happened, the Yellow House. And the whole thing would come full circle after Rocky Horror. Little Nell would again work with Starkevich in voicing her animated short, High Fidelity. And Nell tapped the Richards, O'Brien and Hartley, who she had just worked with on Rocky, to write and orchestrate the music for this short film. After 1971, the Yellow House suffered a decline due to financial problems and artistic tensions. 
It continued on as a performance space for several years, but never recaptured the same lightning in a bottle as the earlier years. The Yellow House was a milestone in the history of contemporary art in Australia, and its importance was recognized by a retrospective exposition at the Art Gallery of New South Wales in 1990. Today, it is a private boarding house and restaurant. Starkavich would go on to direct several other really well-known films, including Pussy Pumps Up and Putting on the Ritz. And she actively worked creating short films well into the 90s. So, if she's so prolific, why did you end up having to do computer magic on her film? Well, what's that all about? Okay, so I had never really heard about this thing. Um, I didn't know that it existed. And Tony Pazuzu came to me one day and said, hey, have you seen this? And he sent me an incredibly low-resolution version of it. We're talking like it's 240 pixels wide, something like that. My best guess after looking up you know a lot about this is that it probably comes from a vhs transfer of a compendium of her couple of short films um she's widely regarded as a very influential and like well-known animator but her work is surprisingly difficult to find probably because it was almost exclusively showed at like exhibitions and galleries and things like that it never like this was this was long before like short films would you know have a life on a streaming service or or you know YouTube or any other real way you know that people would consume these things. So one of the sources that exists and high fidelity is on this is is a VHS you know copy and that's probably where this this came from. So I took a look at it and it was very low quality. Like you could you could tell what was going on. You could see the characters. You could see the really cool animation style in it. But you're just really limited, right? Like by the resolution that it was at. It was so small. Well, I'd been playing with techniques for doing AI video enhancement recently. This is like you take a piece of video and you plug it through some, let's call it a magic AI algorithm. And it figures out and guesses what it would have to do to kind of fill in the pieces to increase the resolution of the video. So this is like incredibly useful um, if you're taking old footage and you want to use it like in a high resolution new context and you don't really want to like have it look blocky and grainy and you aren't super concerned about uh, maintaining perfect accuracy to what was there before. Well, this doesn't work great for things like faces or like, you know, things like that, but it does work extremely well for animation. This is a tool that, like, a lot of the anime community uses to do high-resolution upscales of old, like, 80s, 90s, you know, anime uh, that may not have ever gotten a remaster. They use this kind of a thing to do that. Um, and the results for it are really, really impressive. So I spent an evening playing with it, like, just, you know, figuring out what the best settings would be and how to, like, you know, plug things into the AI in order to get it to spit out a version that was really nice. Um, and I did, and I ran it, ran it overnight, and it, it spat this version out, and I sent it over to Tony, and he was just like, this is fantastic, I, I've wanted to see this in a high resolution, and like, this is a great, you know, kind of version of it. Obviously, you know, it, it, there's a little bit of a fine line here when it's something like this that is so artsy, that's like, you're recreating kind of the intent that the artist had, but not exactly what they had put on film in the first place. Uh, so it's a bit like doing an art restoration on it but a very 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 sloppy <laughs> i'll say job um where you're not super concerned with the 
maintaining what the artist originally had. It's just kind of trying to upscale and sharpen and, you know, create a, a new version of it that is shows what it was. So you're not as distracted by just the her- terrible resolution on it. So anyway, ran through all of that, did the AI upscale, gave it over to Tony. Tony was like, hey, I'd love to get this out there in the world. And... He did post it on YouTube and uh, yeah, it's out there for everybody to go and check out. It's super cool. It's a really fun song. Um, if you do some searching, you can find more of Sturkevich's other animations. Uh, Pussy Pumps Up is also really good, done in the same kind of style as High Fidelity. So uh, definitely go check those out. So an absolutely massive thank you to Tony Pazuzu for making this available to the community. It really is a significant missing piece in the Little Nell Rocky Horror Connection. And one that I really hope Nell talks about in her stage show tour. I mean, we're not going to ever make it to Australia, but Nell, bring them boobies on over to the U.S. We'd love to listen to all your tall tales. And that's our show. As always, we want to thank our editor, Aaron, from Tennessee. Dude, we appreciate all your work, and we can't wait to meet you in a couple of weeks. Hell yeah, man. Can't wait to party it up. If anyone has any questions that they'd like us to answer on air for our Ask a Question segment, or some community news they'd like us to talk about, maybe just a cool story you want to share with the community, you know it. We'd love to include it in our show. Just go to our website, that's rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out the contact form there to tell us all about it. If you're enjoying Rocky Talkie, please help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show. It makes the podcast more accessible to new listeners, which really helps us grow the show. And if you want even more Rocky Talkie content, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. All at Rocky Talkie Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Who pork? Who they all pork Jack Nicholson in this movie? They do, yeah. Wow, okay. All I remember Jack Nicholson from is The Shining. And I just, like that crazy <laughs> face in the snow. Just imagine like, I don't know, like a freezing cold penis and which is hopping on and off. I feel that's like that's what image. his O face would look like too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it brings a whole new definition to here's Johnny. First up in community news. Oh, can you, uh, like can you do t- a segue? Community news <laughs> okay first up in community news we'd like to take you guys on a journey down to oklahoma city a place probably best known for having everything up to date in their capital city kansas wait shit is my misreferencing something One wow second. Where is Kansas? Oh, fuck. Oh, that doesn't even Kansas work. City's Shit. in two states, neither of which Stop is Oklahoma. Stop helping him. I put this in here for a reason. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, well. Down to Oklahoma City, a place probably best known for having everything up to date in Oklahoma City. That, that doesn't work. And I don't know, Aaron, if you're going to cut this out or not, but we just had a whole fucking thing about how that doesn't work. But that's what came to my head. And that's what the script says to say, whatever comes to Jacob's head. So that's what you get. Eat it up. Listen to it. Put it on repeat like a fucking TikTok. You like it? What is that from, Jacob? Oh, my God. That's from, um, fuck, what's it called? It's the movie with the the cowboys. And we actually, funnily enough, this a segment we're about to do is about cowboys and the South. And shit, I was in this in middle school and I watched movies of it 
as a young child because my mother loves it. What the fuck is that musical? Don't say it! I'm looking it up so I'll know in a few seconds! Yo, at least OKLAHOMA! <laughs> oh my god, I'm a fucking moron! Shit! Oh God, fuck up. I knew there was some reason that Oklahoma City struck that memory in my head, and now <laughs> Jesus Christ! I am so special. You should be fucking jealous how special I am. Amazing. If you didn't like that, you could have gone with Cowboys. Oklahoma's known for cowboy culture. Oklahoma's one of the cheapest cities to live in in the in in the US. Um, I feel like you looked up a list of Oklahoma y things. If you want to be edgy, you could go with the bombings. Like if you were feeling full edge lord. Did you Google a list? Did you Google things that uh, happened in Oklahoma? No, I did not. Are you lying? No. Okay. But I did, and I can tell our listeners, <laughs> Oklahoma is famous for its booming agriculture and energy industries and Native American industries, or heritage. Native American <laughs> heritage. First up, in community news, we'd like to take you guys on a journey down to Oklahoma City, a place... <laughs> A place most known for its booming agriculture. <laughs> a place best known for that musical, Oklahoma. That's fair. Meg, I have Google alerts. For <laughs> At what point is Aaron just talking through me? <laughs> <laughs> always, buddy. Always. <laughs> Don't be stupid, Meg. I have Google alerts for Nell's boobs. <laughs> the Yellow House is, of course, a reference to the unrealized dream of Vincent van Gogh, who had mentioned the idea in a letter to his brother, Theo. Van Gogh envisioned setting up his house as a center for artists to live, work, and exhibit. And Sharp's installation was the 1960s realization of van Gogh's late 19th century musing. Are you calling him van Gogh? Van Gogh! It's van Gogh, you swine. Ask Michelle. No, Aaron's doing that thing where he says it like, um, how do they say the, that Spanish city in Spain? Uh, Barcelona. Bar Bar Barcelona. Barcelona. Aaron's saying Barcelona, but with a different name? word. Is it that's Van Gogh or Van Gogh? Michelle says, who cares? <laughs> it featured live performance. <laughs> Jew Ellen? That's, <laughs> what the fuck? It's Julian. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Not for this episode. It's not, Aaron. Starkevich would then go on to direct several other well-known films, including Pussy Pumps, Up and Putting on the Ritz. <laughs> what? Is that two or is that one? <laughs>